Hi, I'm Kara Oakleaf. And I'm Susie Rigdon. Welcome to the Fall for the Book podcast, part of the Watershed Lit Station. This season, we're sitting down with writers from across the genre spectrum. To hear all of our episodes, subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit fallforthebook.org to find out more. Susie, so today we are going to be talking with Nicole Glover. Um, She is a historical fantasy writer and has this really interesting uh, series called Murder and Magic that deals with a pair of detectives um, working in Philadelphia around the Reconstruction era. And um, I kind of wanted to ask you if you have favorite detective stories or detectives in literature. I definitely had, I feel like everyone had their like TV law and order phase. So I definitely had that, (laughs) you know, the very sort of gritty stuff. But as far as reading goes, I don't read a ton of mystery, but the writer that I really, really love is Tana French. Um, Her Dublin murder series one because I love the accents in the audiobook, Um, but also just I love being transported to a new place, learning all about how sort of their systems work. But she also, she does have some sort of, I want to say magic, but there's there's a, a something in it that isn't quite realistic. There's element maybe of a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of magic, a little bit of what if. And I really, really love that. So very different from the type of overt sort of magic that we're seeing in Nicole Glover's books. But I love having that sort of genre bending, genre challenging sort of writing. How about you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm like you. This isn't really like a genre that I'm I read a whole lot in. So when I think about like favorite detective stories, I'm always thinking first of like Sherlock Holmes and the Poirot stories from Agatha Christie. And one of the things I was thinking about with actually with Tana French too is so often those stories are those like kind of classic detective stories with like Holmes and Poirot are sort of like the lone detective using lots of logic to solve everything on completely on their own. But I don't know, with with the Tana French books, it's interesting because so often in some of those books, the like the partnership between the two the two detectives is really central and key. And and, and that's another thing I I thought about a lot with Nicole Glover's books, where where Hetty and Benji are kind of this team that work together. And I kind of like exploring the detective story from that angle. Yeah, that absolutely added a whole different level. These aren't, it's not just like the rookie and the old timer, you know, it's like this married yeah. couple, they've been through all of this stuff together. Really, really cool. I'm, I'm so excited to be talking with Nicole Glover today, especially because I love cross genre books. <laughs> yes. And, and, and this one has so much, it's, it's historical and it's fantasy and it's magic and it's a lot of fun to talk about. Nicole Glover is the author of the historical fantasy series, Murder and Magic, which begins with The Conductors and its follow-up, The Undertakers. The next two books in the series are forthcoming in 2024. When she's not writing, she works as a user experience researcher in Virginia. She can be found at Nicole-Glover.com. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for talking with us today. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. One of the things that we were talking about sort of in our opening discussion (laughs) is how this is such an awesome cross-genre so you've got historical fiction, you've got fantasy, you've got the murder mystery. What was the experience of sort of combining all of these very different sorts of genres together? How did you balance the historical elements with the fantastic? Yeah, it all came together because I kind of just dove into things I like doing. It. I guess that I guess to get the really pull it back, the genesis the genesis of the idea was historical fiction. I kind of always had a like a love for historical fiction, historical facts, and growing up in Virginia, it's like history everywhere. 
And this, the this original version of the story was a straight up historical fiction, but it wasn't quite clicking. And so I fell back to my first love of fantasy, which I've always been a big reader of the genre. Like, but I was like, why not add magic to it? And after that, it was like the murder mystery aspect of it kind of fell into place. And throughout that kind of the craft of writing the book and like kind of writing the book and the second and the following ones, it was kind of just taking the balance of using the historical facts as kind of the baseline, the foundation of the story where I get inspiration from the characters, the setting and some kind of events of that time and kind of layering in the magical elements of things that could like allow me to have more fun with the history, kind of allow, allow me to not really always stick strictly to the historical side, but still kind of play with it and have and especially bring in the fun for the myth, the murder mystery aspect of things. My main characters, Hen, Hen, Henrietta and Hetty and Benji, they they solve the, the, all the murders and mysteries and stuff by using their magical talents. So a lot of the, the magic and mystery elements kind of meld in together to allow me to have a fun time solving mysteries and exploring the time period. And that was so much fun to read. It's <laughs> It's like such a different, all of those elements together give it such mm -hmm. a different feeling it's so fresh and it's so interesting and now i'm curious because you know murder mystery that's mm. got a lot of um layers to it mm. um, we're curious who your favorite fictional detective is or who do you love reading mm. the most that's uh, that's always a hard question i and i thought reading kind of reads every, everything kind of broadly I guess you can always say if you want to say favorite detective. I guess it's easy, probably too easy to say that something like Sherlock Holmes and that genre, like it seeds everywhere. But I guess the idea of that of that type of detective who kind of knows everything, kind of might have some personality quirks, and is has someone that has a partner in crime that kind of either detailing stuff or kind of someone to bounce around. I kind of like that sense of the kind of pairing in general. But in kind of in general and broadly, I guess anything and everything. I kind of. I'm a type of reader who kind of just picks up kind of a mood reader who reads any anything that's interesting and don't have a, a lot of favorites in general but yeah it's it's yeah it's, it's always a tough question for me is there's only I never really have a solid answer a lot to choose from yes I wanted to ask a little bit about your process of writing the the conductors and the undertakers yeah. because they they came out very close to each other. Mm. I'm just curious if 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 you had written were working on both of the books mm. at the same time or, or or right back to back because you've got these two like really kind of almost like epic feeling books yeah. that um that 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 like kind of came right on the heels of each other. So I was wondering what the process what your process was writing those. Yeah, I'll, I'll say I was not writing both books at once. It started out as one book, and my publisher was like, "Let's have a direct sequel to it." And I guess between all the lead time of like, because the, the pandemic kind of scrambled scheduling stuff, so I ended up having extra time with it. So that, that pushed back the first book from, a, from its original date. And so, but throughout the process of writing the first book, I ended up cutting some stuff from it that ended up being folded into the second book. Because once I was told, let's have two books. So I, was, I looked at the first book and looking at some plot lines, I could subplots, I could stretch out or certain themes I could stretch out or certain things that I was kind of stuffing in the first book that I could have more room to breathe in the second one. That allowed me to kind of, to kind of figure out where things go. It's always said that the best of writing is in the editing process. So I think it was kind of helpful being told while I was finalizing the first book that, yeah, hey, there's another book coming out. So I could kind of retool and figure out where things go. 
And then you already like know you kind of like get to revisit these characters again too. Yeah. It, yeah, it allows me to kind of figure out like what things I could save or things I could, I don't have to feel pressure to put everything in there. Because I think when I write my first draft, I always feel like I have to put every possible thing I could into the book, thinking I will never get a chance to go to go off. But being told I have another one coming up or potential other space for things it allows me to get stuff, room to breathe and kind of save, I guess, the good stuff for the next one. That's so nice. And yeah, and knowing that you really do have a place for it, it's not mm. just some blank word document yes. <laughs> somewhere on your right. computer that you're just storing all these ideas in. Mm. I, I really want to talk about mm. the the magical system it's based around um, you know, the, the celestial, they're they're mm. drawing these sigils. It's it's yeah. really lovely. It's not just uh Hetty and Benji that have magic. Mm. It's really just so widespread. Everybody mm. has it, right? Can you talk a little bit, not just about the creation of this, mm -hmm. but also, you know, there are so many different forms mm -hmm. of magic and so much written about magic. Why, why were you drawn to celestial magic and how did that sort of shape and grow? I went with a celestial magic as a magic system because I've always loved astronomy, astrology. I love the constellations. And I was thinking, I was thinking of how the my ones ex express the magic in this world. I was thinking, why not use constellations? Things I really loved. It was a lot of fun to kind of not only just visualize how this constellation kind of worked with it. Because I had the idea that they could they'll cast the spells, whether it's using them like like Ursa Minor, example. So we have a a, dog, a a bear that will appear, and you can kind of use that to manipulate their magic. And it's a very fun visual, and it allows and it's it. Is, it also allowed kind of the freedom for me to be kind of creative in some some direction because I like kind of the idea that the magic is only limited by the creativity that it's kind of it's a craft in a sense so it's more like how because everyone can kind of learn it so it's you can basically anyone can take the same kind of sigil but express differently different forms of magic and kind of building on that I kind of looked at like everyone should be able to have some abilities. It's all about how much you can learn and kind of practice with basically. Because I always just like stories of magic where it's always limited to a certain group of people or a certain family line. I like the idea that in this world that everybody has magic, but everyone has different forms of magic that brings a different magic system. So you have not just have celestial magic, the main characters use. You have things like a sorcery or conjure magic and other there are other forms around that. The idea that different parts of the cultures around the world have their own brand of magic. You don't see all of them, of course, because no book is big enough to describe all of them. But I like the idea that everyone has magic ability and how much they be able to do, how much it appears and other people can use it. It depends on how creative or I guess in the sense of plot reasons, I guess, how it appears, how much appears. Yeah. Not only giving you flexibility, mm -hmm. but just bringing so much richness and just the like, mm -hmm. The idea, even if like you're saying, you're not seeing all of everything, mm -hmm. all the different forms of magic, that it's out there, it's different, it's mm -hmm. it's shaping their world and under, you know, understanding of magic. I love that. I think that's so awesome. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about um about setting for this book. The majority of of the conductors takes place in Philadelphia in uh, 1871. So we're a few years post-Civil War, we're in, into the Reconstruction era. Can you talk about the decision to to, to use that time and place as a setting and, and have Hetty and, ben, and Benji in this place. Yeah, Philadelphia became the main setting because all my research basically was all roads led to Philadelphia. It was, it's a big hub of a lot of underground railroad work. It's had, it had one of the largest free black communities at that time. And that's a lot of, it became really interesting. It was a, it, a lot of, I found a lot of like luminous people of that time period right there. So it came, so it became natural, became the best fit. Like it's every, like basically every research I pulled up was like Philadelphia. So like, why not? And it allowed me to kind of explore the time period. 
explore to just kind of bring the light a lot of the like kind of the quirks of the Philadelphia history and the Loomis people and it is it just became a natural fit that we, when I was still revisiting in the early draft days I couldn't think of any other place I would put it it just seemed like a perfect fit and I just kind of went with it so sometimes you kind of just the research leads you there you just kind of follow it sometimes it made it made my job easier did you end up visiting Philadelphia and sort of walking around, especially the really historic areas, to to get a feel of what the city was like? Unfortunately, no. Every time, it seemed like every time I planned to make a trip, something always cropped up. And I guess I I guess I waited again since the modern Philadelphia is much different than that that time period. I figured I wouldn't I'd be running across like people's like houses or something like that. So I was feel like to be the odd person with the camera, you know, and then it's like <laughs> a random a normal neighborhood, and like that's not. I don't want to. I don't want to avoid that right, situation. But it's. I do wish that it, I was able to do it because I knew there's certain like some things. Just walking around would be really always be a great deal. But I end up relying a lot on a lot of historical maps. I think W W Du Bois had did a whole history slice of the of the of the Philadelphia. I guess it was more 1900, slightly less, slightly after I set the book, but it's close enough that it gave me a good view of what the what it looked like at that time. So it really did help inform a lot of. How I can how I can better visualize the story and to kind of convey that to readers. You clearly had to do a lot of research mm -hmm. about not just Philadelphia, but the the time period and all these mm -hmm. different groups. And you know, we we were talking about okay, I can save this bit of information or this bit of mm -hmm. magic for another book, for for the first two that are out. And you might not be able to answer it because maybe it's in those other ones mm -hmm. um, that are that are coming out. But were there sort of facts or aspects of the life that you had to leave on the cutting room floor it was just like too much because you know you go down a research rabbit hole you find all this great stuff and then you have to <laughs> write <laughs> yeah it's just well some of it was just getting the gritty neat gritty details about certain things whether it's about just certain like certain aspects of the, the time the life of that time period or there's certain like histories of like certain certain buildings there was a tidbit one thing I wanted to I knew when I was working on the second book I almost wanted to set it around November of that year because November of 1871 there was a like election day riots in Philadelphia at that time and I was really thinking I should do second book around that time period and I think I was trying I was originally worked trying to mold the, the story to be around that big event and it didn't quite work even though I, I initially my first couple drafts were around it and just because it's I think for it didn't really quite work for the characters because it was a big jump between like some of the subplots I had in mind and it's like uh, it's, it's too big of an event to kind of just skim it to the background as well so it's like yes yeah, so I have to save it for, for a later time and kind of focus really kind of focus on certain things that were relevant to the characters because it's it's really easy to be kind of swept into like I need to have it sensed around these historical certain historical events to the detriment sometimes to the characters unless you're kind of gunning towards it towards it because there's sometimes when you have like I guess it's you are if you're writing certain historical fiction going in the vein of certain big events. Yeah, it makes sense to kind of gun for certain things. But I think in some ways, even though it's is the books are historical fall in that realm of historical fiction, it's it's more that this the history is itself is important, but not important to overall scope of things at the same time. I guess you could phrase it that way. As in since it's 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 allowing me to just use the the like this the vestige of the historical time, but kind of dress in a, some modern day fashion ways, but they basically the history isn't the, the main point, but but it's I guess it's I don't know, it's it's just a way I could like kind of combine all the things together to communicate the all the themes and plots I had in mind with the characters. If that makes sense. I think I lost myself. No, no, it it totally <laughs> does. Right. It yeah. it allows us to sink into their lives, sink into, you know, this 
large community, a wide cast of characters, everything that's going mm-hmm. on, and then the murder mysteries as well. And you know, you you talked about the themes and plots, mm-hmm. and there are quite a lot of moments and ideas in in both of these books that yeah. resonate sort of with what's happening right now and and things that people are still talking about distrust of police and you know how are they acting and you know do you feel like your books are addressing these modern concerns or is it more of just these are just concerns that have been around and so of course they're gonna sort of speak toward them I think it's kind of both in the same way looking through the research a lot of things a lot of the some of the whether it's like personal first person narratives or research kind of echoes a lot of the modern stuff. I think it was, I remember reading it thinking I could just change some of these names and dates. I could, you could I could publish some of these, like these older things now it's, it's still relevant. And I guess the other side is that none of it's all in, intentional. I think some of it is, I always say like writing is like the kind of the best therapy. A lot of things you're thinking about as you're writing comes up in your writing itself, whether it's on purpose or not. Some of the things, some of the some of the characters mentioned, or some of the themes that come out through the books, or things I've been just mulling over in the back of my mind, it's kind of just props up as as things happen in books at points. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I want to ask too, what's what's next for this series? Um, we, we've got another book coming out later um, in 2024, but this one actually jumps to another another period. This is in like the 1930s, so we're kind of like in yeah. the aviation era. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of excited to hear about that. Yes, the next book jumps forward in time a bit. It's following the, basically the granddaughter of the main characters. It's Velma Fry. She's a, a, a pilot in the style of Bessie Coleman. And she's also a magical investigator who investigates kind of curious um, things around the country using a plane, of course. And in this book, she she follows the trail of this of a mysterious pocket watch she discovers that's causing some unusual activity. Like a, some people, people had started fighting in the vicinity of the strange pocket watch. And curious about it, she starts looking for not only who possibly made it and searching around the country for other similar objects and finds along the way there's a more personal connection, one that leads back to her family's end, back on, on Bramble Crescent, which is Leads to un- leads to uncovering all sorts of interesting things, and along along the journey is a, a motley of people of not only just the suspects she interviews along the way, but she has a she finds a copilot in the sense of of a, of a nosy reporter who is often on her trail, and she may or may not have a fondness for her that she kind of might deny or not. So it's fun times. I, I love that we're gonna get to go to this like mm-hmm. completely different like era of history, but yes. we still have this connection to. To, to Hetty and Benji through yes. the family. They may or may not make a, a, a sizable cameo. So. Yes, I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. All right, well, Nicole, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. It was a great talk. A great, and you had lovely, lovely questions as well. The Fall for the Book podcast is produced by Jordan Bostick as a part of Watershed Lit. For more episodes, you can follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Fall for the Book is a nonprofit literary arts organization, and you can find more information about our programs and events at fallforthebook.org. 